you can go pick up an office tower in London for a two cap, or you can pick an office tower up in New York City for a four cap. That still looks pretty bloody attractive. Again, from that international perspective, cap rates in Australia are in the two, three percent mark for commercial real estate. Combined with the fact that in Australia, we don't even have large scale multifamily like you guys have here. So to me, it's the safest commercial grade asset out there to date. Welcome to XN State. Where's the greatest opportunity in real estate today? That's what I need to know. We'll hear from industry leaders with boots in the ground and skin in the game. Who's winning? How are they winning? Stick around and we'll find out right here on XN State. Welcome back to XN State. This is your host, JCQ. Today we host co-founder of Austin-based Wildhorn Capital, Reed Goosens. In 2012, Reed quit his job in Australia and moved halfway across the globe to the U.S. to change his life and to chase a dream. With limited funds, no investing experience, and no credit, Reed went from purchasing a small duplex to growing his own real estate investment firm. Today, Wildhorn Capital has over 2,000 units under management, totaling over $250 million. In our interview, we touch on how Reed managed to get his start and reach current scale in such a short period of time how he has been able to use his outsider's perspective as a competitive advantage and potential opportunities that he is paying attention to in today's environment, such as hotel reconversions into multifamily space. I hope you enjoyed today's show. Without further ado, here is today's honored guest, Reed Goosens. Welcome to Accent State, Reed. How are you doing today? G'day, Jorge. Thank you very much for having me. Excellent. Where, where is that accent from? Oh, it's similar where you're from, mate. Uh, the deep south, <laughs> all the way past uh, down past Australia. So yeah, I'm originally from Aussie and moved up to the United States in uh, 2012. So eight years ago. Yeah, it's crazy Excellent. how time flies. Excellent. Just 2012, you you moved you moved down. So that's that's not a long time to have gone to the point where you are in in real estate and with the amount of units and projects that you have under your belt by now. So you've done a a pretty good job since you arrived here. You moved quickly. Thank you. <laughs> it's part of the hustle, right? I'm you know, trying to get, making sure that you, making sure that when you do move to another country as an expat, you, you, make, you give it a good crack. So as I like to say, so hopefully some of your listeners today will get a, a bit of inspiration out of my story and, and the journey to, to go off and take some action and really, you know, stop sitting on the fence. So yeah. Sure, sure. So why don't we begin by hearing a little bit about your journey and how all that came about what brought you here to the U.S.? Yeah, well, the thing that brought me here to the United States was was the love of two things or people, not, not people, but two things. One happens to be a person who's now my wife, uh, okay. Erica, and the second one was was New York City. I, I loved New York City. When I backpack around the world uh, back in 2009, I actually came through New York City and fell in love with it and, and said, I need to live here at a period of time at some point in the future. And then you know, fast forward a couple of years in early 2012, I quit my well-paid civil engineering job in Australia and, and, and moved halfway across the world. And the, the, the thing for me is like, I just moved here to be an expat, you know, to, to, to live in the Big Apple. And, 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 you know, I thought I was going to move back home to Australia after a couple of years. But um, at that point, I had been bitten by the entrepreneurial bug. Mm-hmm. And so when I moved here, I didn't have a job. Uh, I didn't have any established network. Um, I had to create it from scratch. And that was really tough, but it's also the fact that I'd just taken the leap of faith and moved to a whole foreign country and a new new city without a job, that was such a massive leap of faith that all mm-hmm. these other little things of building a network and getting started and investing in real estate, they're small steps compared yeah. to 
you know, leaving my family, chasing a girl halfway across the world. Yeah, it reminds <laughs> me of the analogy of burning your ships, right? You take such a big leap of faith that now it's pretty much you have you give yourself no option other than succeed. Well, but in, in, that's interesting you say that. Like, there is an option. There was an option. The, the worst case scenario, because I, I rocked up with no job, right? So I had to pound the, pound the pavements and walk into, I, I was a civil engineer, structural engineer. So what I did was I put the lists, I, I listed out on, on an A4 piece of paper back to front, all the engineering names and joints that I thought would hire me. And the reason I thought they would hire me is because I, I, I could see by their websites or maybe by some information I found online that they may have less than 50 employees. And typically companies with less than 50 employees wouldn't have HR. And when they don't have HR, they are the, the gatekeepers, right? And so when mm -hmm. someone sees a resume and says, oh, he's, he's educated in Australia, next. You know, and so mm -hmm. I actually was, was walking into firms, knocking on their door saying, hey, give me a job, give me a job, give me a job. And I only had three months to do it because I came on a tourist visa and I had to get it. I had to get the offer and then leave the country and then get the visa and then come back in. So I say that with just because it was just to get the job was, was hard enough, you know, mm -hmm. and, and, and moving into a new country, moving in with my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, it was, it was a big step, you know, across a lot of different facets in, in, in just growing as a human. Yeah. So, so yeah. So your first step, you landed in New York and got, got a civil engineering job. That was your first, that was your landing first spot. That was the first step, man. And how long did you last in that job? Pretty much nearly two years before I moved to LA and then made the trip, you know, because Erica wanted to move back closer to family. And in 2014, we, we ended up moving back here to where we are today in, in Los Angeles. And, and again, I had to continue to find another job. I did the same thing. I pounded the pavements and until I found one. And that job was only very short lived because that was another civil engineer, another structural engineering job. But then I said to myself, well, if I'm going to be, you know, and at this point I'd, I'd done a few deals, I want to say deals in small properties. And I knew that was the path that I was going to go down, but I didn't want to be stuck in an engineering. Like I always have the, the joke of, you know, I'd be on site and someone's like, how many bolts do we need to end that connection from the floor joist to the, to the column? And I, I'd be like, ah, I, don't, I don't really care. You know, how much are you going to rent this place for? You know, I was more interested to talk to the developer. So I actually made um, cold call or cold emailed a bunch of developers that the structural engineering firm I was working for was, was a client of. And through that email, I actually was introduced to a, a developer and he said, love your story. My wife actually happens to be from Australia. Would love to hire you because I was a structural engineer. I had a skill set and I wanted to be surrounded by real estate 24-7. And I knew I, hadn't, I wasn't at the stage in 2014 to go full-time. Mm -hmm. in my business. Plus I had green card issues. I, I was not married at the time yet. And so, but I knew if I was to be surrounded by real estate 24 seven and got the highest paying corporate job I could, and which, which had the most amount of freedom on the side to go and do, continue to do deals. Well, it was, and plus learn the business of, of being ground up development. Then that mm -hmm. was sort of a win, win, win for me and for everyone. So, so that's what I did. And I, I was in that job for, for nearly three years. So yeah, before I finally eventually got married in 2017 and was that like, see you later. And so, yeah. So you went from the civil engineering job into the role with a development company? Mm -hmm. That's correct. I was an owner's rep, project manager on the development of about 400 high-end apartment, multifamily apartments in Long Beach, California. So everything from taking all the way through from planning to, to rezoning in through to construction and to through to completion. So before that takes, you know, at least three, three and a half years. So take those sort of jobs take a long, long time. And I learned everything soup to nuts of the business on the development side from raising capital to underwriting to management. And, and I had brought management experience from the structural engineering world because I was a project manager 
you know, being a structural engineer. So I had, I had a skill set that was valuable to this developer. And anyone who's listening to this show, the real, if you can look at yourself and if you have a skill set that you can use in a real estate field that you really want to get involved in real estate, but you may not necessarily be at the point to go full time, or maybe you could get a job with a developer or a job as a broker or a job working as an analyst, whatever skill set you might have today that you can, it can be, you know, transformed into the other, you know, into real estate and try and get a, a well-paying job if you can, whilst we're learning on, on the job at the same time. So, so yeah, that was definitely a good, a good stepping stone for me. Mm-hmm. And so you transitioned from be, from working with this developer eventually into venturing on your own. And while you were working with this developer and be, even before that with your civil engineer, had you begun investing on the side on your yes. own? Deals? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So within, within six months of moving to the United States, I had bought my first triplex in upstate New York. I remember, so in 2012, I, when I came, made the transition to, to America or coming to America, I'd already picked up the book Rich Dad Poor Dad back in 2010. And that sort of opened my eyes to the, the world of entrepreneurship. And in Australia, before coming to the United States, I was starting to learn, you know, 2009, 2010, 2011, I was starting to learn different things, maybe about flipping or lease options. And then I eventually decided to move to the United States. And so I had to retrain my brain about how the Americans used to speak or how the Americans do speak, I should say. And within like two weeks of being fresh off the boat in 2011, I was at my first real estate investment association, the REARS in New York City. And just trying to take on all the information. And then within six months later, I, I realized that the barriers to entry here in the United States is so much lower than they are in Australia. And I bought a triplex. In what sense? Three. In the sense that you have in Australia, you know, we have a land mass very similar to the same size as America, excluding Alaska. So we're same sort of land mass, but we only inhabit about less than 20% of our land because Australia is primarily a desert. And with that, everyone is on the coast. So we have only about 25 million people where you have nearly 350 million people here um, that can inhabit north, south, east, west. And that you know, propels secondary and tertiary markets, right? So you have Australia is very much a primary market all across, you know, it's like LA, San Francisco, New York, like you, there's no okay. cash flow. It's high appreciation, high demand, low supply. And for me coming to this country and seeing, oh, wow, I can drive four hours north of New York City and there's Syracuse, New York and I can buy a property for 38,000 bucks. Wow, that's incredible. Like you could never find that in Australia. So, and that's kind of my superpower, right? Is my, my perspective that coming to mm-hmm. the United States and seeing what I didn't have available and going, oh, hang on, this is exactly what I need to be doing. And, and, and that's what I started, you know, down the, and I could afford it, right? I, I saved up a little bit of money and I didn't need the bank to buy 38,000 bucks at the time. And, and being fresh off the boat, I, I wasn't, banks weren't lending to me anyway. I didn't even know yeah. what a credit score was. So exactly. all these things that I had to learn and I was sort of a, you know, a bright eyed, bushy tail Australian, not, not understanding a lot of this stuff, but I was, I was you know, stumbling forward and, and learning as I was going. And that's the most important part. I was taking yeah. action. You, so, reduce, yeah. you reduce your barriers to entry as much as possible. You didn't even need a, a bank loan and that got you in the game, $38,000. You got me in the game. You, you got me in the game. You bought a uh, triplex, and then from that, you just as you, as you said, you fell forward, you leveled up and leveled up and learned. Yeah, yep. and, 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 and they say that the rest is history. But the real thing for all your listeners out there is like, you don't get to deal number 10 without doing deal number one. And deal number one isn't about how much money you make on your first deal, like, you definitely want to make money, but it's about getting a base hit, it's about getting your foot in the door and giving yourself the permission to say, I can do this. Mm-hmm. And I can do this to go off and do more and, and scale and, and ultimately what I've scaled it to today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
you hear about the law of the first deal, right? That's something that people talk about. It's usually, it takes us a long time to get to our first deal. And then once we get there, then usually we're surprised by how quickly the second and third one and fourth one hits us because we've already, once you find out that you can actually do it and you're able to trust in yourself and Mm -hmm. you you see yourself already doing it, then a lot of the fears that we have in our minds, they disappear. 100%. And it's all fear, right? That's all it is. It's mm-hmm. about, and for me, I, I vividly remember because I'd, before coming to the United States, I'd, I'd self-educated in sort of 2010, 2011, got here, was then sort of recalibrated my brain to the American way of speaking. And I vividly remember like being on a subway to work in New York and just going, getting to the point of analysis paralysis, like the old saying, or not, it's not the old saying, but you know, you don't read about going to the gym and losing weight, right? You actually got to mm-hmm. walk through the door of the gym and get on the treadmill. And that was kind of how I was feeling. I got to the analysis paralysis stage and I could have gone and spent the 40,000 bucks on a rich dad, poor dad course, or I could just go out and buy a property and see how, see how it went, you know? Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. Yeah. And again, a lot of times the size of the first deal is irrelevant. What matters irrelevant. is that you get a first deal done and then Correct. the second one can be twice as big and then the third one again right. twice as big and you'll be surprised by how quickly you can reach a size that that a few years ago you didn't think it was it would be possible in such a short amount of time well i i am still giving goosebumps today thinking about that over a decade ago i picked up the book rich dad poor dad i had no idea i had no idea that i would and nor did i have even in as a vision to yeah. be where i am today because 10 years is not a long time it's not a long time, but what you know, think about what, what Tony Robbins says, and I, I quote him a lot on this: is we can overestimate what we, what we want to achieve in a year, but we underestimate what we can achieve in a decade. Mm-hmm. And that, like, and looking back and seeing where I've come from at thirty-four years of age, like, it's I haven't even been in the country ten years yet. Like, it's <laughs> it's nuts. And so, and, and I'm not saying it to toot my own horn. I'm saying mm-hmm. it of the power of backing yourself, learning to take a bet on yourself, and taking action. You have to be educated, definitely have to be educated and take it from me that the United States is so much better set up for the infrastructure in terms of learning, the podcasting, the YouTubes, the fact that the rear associations are available. They are the, you know, honestly, you can criticize them all they want. They are the best bloody organization out there to get started because you're going out, you're networking with people and you're getting, you're being surrounded by people you aspire to be and they're readily available in, in each city across the United States. I didn't come from that. And so to have that available at my fingertips, I'm like, great, this is once a month and I can pay 20 bucks at the door and learn some incredible content. It was a no-brainer. It was just rock mm-hmm. up and keep learning and keep rocking up until you start sinking in and then from that, go take action. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and again, there you, you benefited from your perspective because you correct you saw something here that you didn't have over there and you, you saw the opportunity. Whereas somebody who has lived here all their lives, they may not identify that opportunity because that's they have the blink just well. something that, that is, it's always been there. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So tell us a little bit. I think we, we skipped over about what do you do today and where are you sure. a little bit about what you're doing now? And then we can also, again, go back and touch on how you got here, but just to, so that everybody understands where is it that you actually have gotten to today? Yeah, after sure. So years? I'm the co-founder of Wildhorn Capital with my business partner, Andrew Campbell. And we buy value-add multifamily apartments in central Texas, primarily in San Antonio and Austin. 
We have a bit over 2,000 units today, about a, a bit over a quarter billion assets, the, the value of the, of the portfolio. And we're about to acquire deal number 10 here in the next couple of months. And we're looking to um, double the portfolio in the next two to three years. And um, hopefully with COVID, it's going to be a pretty good hunting ground for, for new deals uh, as they come about. So, yeah. Okay. And how long ago did you found Longhorn, Wildhorn Capital? Yeah. So Wild, originally when, so the story goes is that back in 2014, when I made the transition to LA, I also made the transition to get a coach, a, a mentor. And through that coach, I was able to get involved with a couple of deals early on in the piece. He wasn't that much experience, more experienced. I think he'd done one big deal, but he was affordable and I knew I needed it. And through that, I sort of partnered, I did some Koji peeing with him on the side whilst I was working as a developer. And then in 2000, and I think it was 2016, I eventually bumped into Andrew Campbell and knowing that I wanted to not play second fiddle to my mentor and want to mm -hmm. go out and be my own operator. I was already looking at sort of smaller deals in, in Dallas and, and in San Antonio. Um, I'd already had my underwriters set up some couple of undergrads and, and really I was, I knew that I needed that partner because I didn't have that skill set of, I had the analytical skill set. I had the, the, the operation skill set, but I didn't have the boots on the ground and I was losing out on these, you know, 40, 50 unit deals in Dallas. I, you know, <laughs> to, by like, a couple of thousand dollars, $25,000 on a $2 million deal. And it's because I didn't have those relationships with the broker because I was calling here from LA. Plus I opened my mouth. I've got a weird Australian accent. So I needed that, that yin to my yang. And when I met Andrew, it was, he was looking at the same deals. He didn't have the skill set that I had, but I didn't have the skill set he had, which he was boots on the ground. So we in 2016 came together we did a couple of deals sort of as independent entities. And then in 2017, we eventually combined it and um, you know, just, we've have grown ever since. So yeah, yeah it's, it's been a pretty incredible ride so far. You've grown to, you said 2000 units under management at, at well. Correct. That's pretty impressive. How has starting a company in 2016, 2017, it was what we are looking back considering late in the cycle, right? Mm -hmm. and, and you're buying properties that are all, that are existing. You're paying low cap rates. You're paying expensive prices in comparison to historical prices sure. how, how has in hindsight today in mid 2020 a few months after or we can't say after covid yet we're still in the still middle in of it, it. Yeah, still <laughs> in it but how did the prices that you pay for these properties does it looking back or did you still get good deals or how yeah, has well, it's still it's still good deals to be had regardless right and yes there's been cut break compression over the last 15 years Yes, there's you know frothiness in the market, but I think now looking forward, the reason that we had a lot of compressed cap rates is because of cheap money, right? Let's not discount that. When money is cheap, cap rates tend to follow interest rates. So as long as you've got a spread between what your interest rate is and what your cap rate is, so even if you're buying, if you've got an interest rate of four percent, you're buying at a five point two five percent or a five point five percent cap rate. Then there's there's a spread there that you'll make cash flow, right? And if you can, if it's got a true value add story where you can go and increase the rents and you can do some, you know, better managerial stuff and and, and put in better systems, then that is you're going to be able to find value. Then you're going to be able to grow the value of your asset, and that's the beauty of this game, right? Uh, now looking forward, I think we're going to be in a continuing continued environment of that. I don't think we're going to be swinging back to seven and eight percent cap rates. The reason is because. COVID has proven how much of an asset class multifamily is, is so valuable, right? One, one is because people need shelter. 
food and shelter are the two first human needs that people need. And if you're a big institution that have only invested in office or retail, well, bloody hell, multifamily looks pretty attractive right now. Combined with the low interest rates, we're going to be, I believe we're going to be in an environment for the next foreseeable future, you know, two, three years time from now in continued to be compressed cap rates. Also, we, we are investing in markets with true job growth. San Antonio was where we started, but we're now really focused on Austin. The reason we're focused on Austin is because, again, supply demand issue. I live in LA. I know how things are built here. I've come from a country where it's got massive demand, low supply. And with the massive demand and low supply, you have, again, reduced cap rates. You've got you know, the old saying that you can go pick up an office tower in London for a two cap, or you can pick an office tower up in New York City for a four cap. That's, that, that still looks pretty bloody attractive. Again, from that international perspective, cap rates in Australia are in the 2 3% mark for commercial real estate. Combined with the fact that in Australia, we don't even have large scale multifamily like you guys have here. So to me, it's the safest commercial grade asset out there to date. And it's only from a global perspective. From a global, well, even from a national perspective, Mm -hmm. you're seeing a lot of people, I would bet that people who are struggling to pay rent, who have a storage unit, if you're invested in storage, I'm not pooing on storage. But in terms of who, what you're going to pay first, I think your rent check is going to be paid before your storage check is going to be paid. You know what I mean? So it's really understanding that the multifamily is looking like a pretty shiny, good object right now, which to me, I feel like more capital is going to flood the multifamily market, which is going to continue to c- compress cap rates. When the demand comes in and the supply can't c- keep up, you're only going to have compressed cap rates. So again, combined with low interest rates, money's cheap. So I think in the in the, the foreseeable short term, three to four years time, we're going to continue to see what we had pre-COVID, and that's frothiness, and that's you know, reduced cap rates. You got to look where you can pick what the in-place cap rate is versus what the interest rates you're getting at. As long as there's a spread there, you can make cash flow. Yeah, you focused. You mentioned on value at properties in San Antonio and Austin primarily. Mm-hmm. Okay, and tell me a little bit about why those markets, why Texas being in. In LA, what do you like about these markets? You already mentioned job growth, but what are some You're other right. general factors? I love San Antonio, it's where we got started, but it's probably not going to be as valuable of a city through compared to Austin. Austin's really transitioned into a tier one market and we're riding that growth. And the reason that that is that, that is the case is that the Austin of today was not the Austin of yesterday, right? Or yesteryear, you know, go back 20 years ago, it was a boom and bust type of market. And through strategic planning by the local municipality and investments in infrastructure and in attracting certain types of businesses to Austin and and creating a diverse multicultural society in Austin, you then create an incredible growth opportunity to what we've had today. And that growth opportunity is predicted to continue for the next 20 or 30 years. Mm -hmm. And so when you have local municipalities in truly investing in their cause in their infrastructure, in expansion, in attracting jobs, then that's where you want to be, right? Don't get me wrong. San Antonio can do that. It just ain't on the scale that Austin's doing it. It's not as explosive right, right now. It's growth. But explosive comes from strategic investment by municipalities. It ain't, it ain't a fluke. That, mm-hmm. that, that ain't a fluke. And, that, and it comes from 20 years of planning to get to the point we are today. So and I was going to ask, uh, touching on the strategic planning by municipalities, is that focused on bringing in companies? Because well, it's, 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 it's a number of things. It's investment in infrastructure. So roads, recreation parks, airports, all that sort of stuff. 
It's also an investment in bringing in diversification. So through, you know, you know, keep Austin weird. You everyone's heard about that, right? Mm-hmm. So trying to make you know, lean into why why they're weird and why, you know, it's a little bit more liberal leaning compared to the rest of the state. And it's an attractive for it's really now being put on, you know, attracting big conferences like, you know, South by Southwest also attracting big business, right? In, in terms of Apple and Tesla are all moving there because it's sexy and cool. And, and the fact that it's, it's on now on the world map, like you have direct flights to and from London three or four times a week. You're going to Frankfurt two or three times a week, direct flights. I think they're even, you know, talking about expanding the airport even, even further. So when you have a city like Austin that historically has been very boom in Boston has had more moderate cap rates or expanded cap rates in the six to 8% mark to then mm-hmm. come over a period of 20 years to being a very low cap rate environment because it's really transitioned into a tier one market. That to me means that that is, you know, alarm bells are going off. That is what you need to be looking at, looking back at history and where it's come from and to, to determine where it's going to go in the future and what investments are you going to make? What bets are you going to make on investments as the city continues to grow? Yeah, you're right. It's, it's a city that for 2020 and for what we're seeing in, in the world right now, it seems to be very aligned. It's a city that's main business is our technology companies and technology mm-hmm. companies have done very, very well in the, in the last decade, more so than, for example, the energy sector that powers Houston, for example. Right. Exactly. And also it's a very, as, as you were mentioning, it's a very attractive city to young people, to millennials, to the keep Austin weird. And again, that's something that may not be, it may be what people favor today in 2020. It may not be the same case 20 years from now. But today there are, there are certain factors that really favor Austin and that have been propelling its growth, which really has been, it's been the highest in the country for a city of its size. Yeah. And, and that's the thing, the city of its size, it is still, I think it's saying like a million or a million two, like it ain't big. And, but it's projected to double that in the next 10 years. Right. Mm-hmm. And so excuse me, you compare it to say something like LA or New York where, or even Houston, like where we're in the six to 7 million, you know, it, it's got a long way to grow before it's going to even start to rival that sort of stuff. So how is the municipality and the local investment organizations Who's steering that ship to make it? Do they want to get to that sort of level of five to six, seven million people? And I think they do. And so when you're thinking about that over the next 20, 25, 30 years, that is a really good investment opportunity for me as, a, as an investor today where I perceive it to be like we're coming in on the, you know, maybe not necessarily at the ground level, but we're coming in pretty close to the ground level before it you know, shoots off in the air. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I heard the analogy the other day that Austin is the blueberry and the tomato sauce. I don't yes. know if you've heard that yes. before. The, 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 blue, the blue dot in the red in the red state. <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly. And what that does is it, it sort of gives Austin a little bit of the best of both words scenario where it benefits from a very business friendly environment, but also it creates an environment that a lot of young people want to move into and be a part of. 100%. 100%. One of our strategic advisors on our, on our board, I remember having a conversation with him just about like what would scare him if, you know, he's, he's, he's born and bred Austin. He's, he's on the local economic development committee. You know, like what would scare you about investing in this city in the future? And, you know, I don't want to get political about the whole thing, but I said, give me an example. And he said, well, the whole bathroom issue, you know, with the gender fluid types of bathrooms and how quickly Austin was to adopt it where you look at, I think it was Charleston or Charlotte, I can't remember. There was one of those cities that a couple of years back that completely was, you know, like, no, we're not going to do it. 
Well, I know for a fact Google then said, well, screw you, whatever that city was, we're not even going to look at you as a potential for bringing new jobs to that area. And just how much those types of big companies can dictate the future of a city. And, and he said, if, if Austin had made that decision to go you know, more the conservative way of thinking, which is in the deep south, he said, I would get the hell out of Austin. I wouldn't be investing in it. The fact that it, it didn't and wanted to attract the, the likes of Google and Facebook and Tesla and the big tech companies, they want diversity. They want progressive thinking. And so that, that was an but, example. But they also of, want the, the no income tax. Yeah, like let's, let's, let's talk about the no income tax for a second. Everyone, everyone loves to talk about it, but I own real estate. And I tell you what, they still make up the difference in your real estate tax. And I own a lot of real estate in Texas and we get the real estate tax in Texas is more than what I'm paying on my personal property here in LA. Now, yes, I, so they're getting it somewhere. The whole thing of that, it's good for the individuals who think that they're not getting taxed on their income. That's great, but they'll get it on the backside for property owners like myself. And honestly, on a P&L today, taxes are nearly 50% of the, of the expenses. That's ridiculous. And that's, now that's changed a lot. And that's getting to a point where taxes are so crazy that it's making deals not pencil. And it's nearly may have a reverse effect that, you know, an investor like myself, I don't want to invest there because I can't make it pencil because of the taxes too bloody high on the, on the real estate side. So there's both sides of the coin. And yes, I hear you on the business friendliness of it. But as an individual investor whose boots on the ground, I'm a small investor they get it another way and the city still needs to eat. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, at the end of the day, somebody has to pay for those uh, <laughs> for road improvements and those infrastructure that you mentioned that also bring right. in, bring right. in future growth. Right. And, and, and look, I'm okay with that. I just, the whole thing of like, Oh, it's because of this, like that's an element of it, but let's talk about the other side of the coin. So, yeah. But it, it's not just that it's, there's other aspects that play into the business friendly environment. For example, what we were seeing recently between Tesla being or Elon Musk being a little bit upset and having some yep. friction there with the state for being too conservative when it comes to allowing businesses to operate, not wanting to give businesses enough freedom to operate. Mm -hmm. And Texas tends to be a more progressive in that sense, be more business. <laughs> progressive friendly. on the business sense, yeah. <laughs> progressive on the business sense, exactly. And California conservative on the business sense. Right, right. They're one examples of, and yes, they. it's all great for the headlines. It's all great for, but, you know, we also got to remember that small businesses in this country today are still the biggest employers across the United States. So mm -hmm. it's all sexy and well and good to have the Facebooks and the Googles and the, the tech companies, but we still can't forget the small businesses and what makes a city like Austin tick and the major employers are based on small businesses. So mm -hmm. supporting, and that's where you have your benefits of the quote unquote business friendly side come into effect from those smaller shops that do employ a large majority of the population. Mm -hmm. So what sub-markets within Austin are you focused in? We are in a couple of areas where I just bought the our recent acquisition in March. We uh, purchased on East Riverside Expressway, which is okay. all the way out to the airport. And we're really focused on that corridor right now. We've actually got another deal under contract, brand new construction opportunity zone on that same corridor out towards the airport. That's where everything the whole city is expanding to. So it's south of the river, the airport is southwest of the river. And if you know Austin, it's in that corridor that you really want to be looking at for future growth because there's a ton of stuff coming along. Like there's new Project Catalyst, which is bringing a million square feet of office to that area. And they're actually taking offline in the next couple of years, 600 apartment buildings. And we're, we're, we're literally across the street. We're a stone's throw away from it. 
And so that's only going to benefit our current deals. And so we're looking to buy more deals in those types of areas. What's the, do you know the status of, the, of that project catalyst and the, those apartment buildings that they're taking offline, that's to redevelop into- To, to redevelop, yes. I believe, it, I believe it got passed and it was approved. The other big infrastructure piece that is right near our property doorstep is the new uh, light rail that's going towards the airport, which is going along East Riverside Expressway. And one of the stops, it just got the green light, I think in the last vote. It will take a few years to be built. But again, those are the types of things you need to be looking at as you're starting to invest in deals, yes, deals to, as they currently look at it on a PL might have low cash flow today, but you've got to look for the future. And if you're investing for the long term, that is really important and, and understanding what's coming down the pike. Yeah, the, the city is, I think it's growing on, on every direction, right? Because you <laughs> see deals on where you just mentioned the Southeast towards the airport, that area is certainly growing. Then you also towards San Antonio, towards San Marcos on I 45, Kyle, and those kinds of sub markets are also growing. And Correct. then, not to mention the Northeast, Round Rock, and Georgetown, and then Northwest towards Cedar Park, Leander. All mm-hmm. those are areas have been growing tremendously. Yep. And we've got assets in all of those areas as yeah. well. So, and we only want to keep keep buying in Austin. And that's again part of why we, we like the story. So, so yeah. So you mentioned you're in both acquisitions and ground up development in Austin. Uh, so this new deal of is the first, will be the first ground up development, and we're not doing it. We're, we're mm-hmm. it's currently already under construction. It's an it's in an opportunity zone. We're taking over what's called pre TCO, and TCO stands for temporary certificate of occupancy. And the reason we're doing it is it's because of the tax savings you get from being in an opportunity zone. There's tax deferred savings taking your money out of say the stock market and placing it into these opportunity zones and really an ability to get off the 1031 hamster wheel. And that's really the, what we're finding is very attractive to investors. It is a lower return over 10 years. We're not going to, it's brand new construction, right? You know, at less than two miles from downtown Austin. So that in itself is very attractive to a lot of people. And we're currently in the negotiation stage of the PSA and we're just about to jump into the due diligence stage. And we're looking to close on that asset probably between November and December once they get to TCO in the next five to six months. You're buying this project from the developer before it opens. Correct. That is correct. Because okay. we have, we are forced to because of the in-use demands of for, from an OZ. And OZ stands for Opportunity Zone. You need to be taking it on. You can't let it go to TCO, which is really when the, the deal is open for business. Otherwise, we don't, we don't get the tax benefits of being the owner post-TCO. So we need to take over pre-TCO. And so you'll be staying in that deal for 10 years? 10 years, that's correct, yep. Okay. Your typical investment horizons, what are they? Five to seven years. Five to seven. And I think that's, you know, the big thing that people, my my whole shtick about it is like, people have made a lot of money since 2008, you know, in two, three years, doubling their money in that short period of time. But you've got to remember historically and where I come from again is like, I was always brought up in Australia. If you double your money in 10 years in a real estate deal, you're doing just fine. And so moving that mindset away. We try to double people's money in seven, five to seven years, but it got harder and harder. And I think as you start to expand the horizon and understand the different benefits like an opportunity zone or the different infrastructure developments that are coming in, there's only the upside. That's, that's a potential upside, but just on a fundamentals basis of what the current asset can do today, if, that, if you're doubling their money in seven years, it's still a bloody good deal. You know what I mean? Like, and people have just, they've got so, the retail investor has got so used to over the, since 2008, doing a lot of good, you know, doubling and tripling their money in a very short period of time. The old horizon is that we can't keep going up like a, an exponential curve. We're going to flatten off a little bit. And that's where 
looking over the long term, if you're looking over that more seven to 10 years, you're just going to, you're going to do just fine with real estate investing. So changing that mindset again to like trying to make a quick buck. Real estate isn't about making dollars quickly. It's about making real dollars slowly. So yeah. How do you see Austin's growth in the next sort of decade after it's had a, a decade or a period of 20 years in which it has grown faster than any other city yeah. in the country. Do you well, think we, you expect we, that to, to continue at a relatively I think it's got to pace? slow down. It has to slow down. And, you know, mm -hmm. there's, there's, it has to. You can't keep going. But what we are trying to do is be by very opportunistic deals in areas that we know are going to have continued growth. We're also looking at some hotel conversions of some extended stays in Austin. Conversions you know, into, into multifamily. Correct. Yes, into low-cost affordable housing, where, the, again, going back to the, the municipality, the municipality is very incentivizing investors from a taxation point of view to convert or build low-cost housing as the city continues to grow. It's going to, have interesting. Gro it's going to have its growing pains. Like the, the homeless population is, is, is growing in Austin, right? A lot of people are being displaced as with all this wealth that is coming in. So the city's got to now deal with it. Uh, something that has been very common to LA and San Francisco and New York for many, many years is now something very new to Austin. So how can we as investors help the local municipality, help our fellow brothers and sisters and also benefit along the way with maybe lower taxes? Or we, I spoke about taxes earlier. You know, How do we reduce, reduce those real estate taxes and, and making it a viable investment for the long term so everyone can win? So it's a win-win-win situation across the board. We're definitely entertaining those ideas right now. And really being at the forefront of what is coming and, and understanding what those types of opportunities are will make us successful over the next 10 to 15 years. Mm -hmm. So I have no qualms about any of that. Any yeah, type of, yeah, that. Sure. Have you done any of those hotel reconversions before? Or is that something you're starting to look into? Starting to look into, but again, you know, when I've come from the world of ground up construction, ground up construction is the most risky real estate you can do, right? You have planning risk, you have construction risk, you have debt risk, you have all this risk getting an existing asset and converting it to multifamily or getting a existing multifamily and putting lipstick on a pig, that's the easy stuff, right? Where you start being creative is where it becomes more complex. And so I think it's, it's got a lot of legs, uh, this, this hotel conversion stuff that I'm looking at. It's about going obviously and executing it, but also understanding where the value is in it. Like you want to be buying assets where it's got plumbing already in the walls because you want to have existing kitchens because you don't want to have to go and add plumbing. That's a cost, right? So understanding that type of stuff, I only understand that type of stuff because I've come from ground up construction. So again, bringing skill sets from other areas of my life into looking at newer deals as we grow as wild horn capital. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I can tell you're a, you're a big fan of US real estate. You actually, <laughs> you've published two books, right? I have. One called Investing in the US. And the other recently came out, which is 10,000 Miles to the American Dream. That is correct. That is correct. Yeah. Tell I, me a little bit about those. So investing in the US comes from my podcast, actually, which has been going for about nearly five years, I think, at the end of the year, which is crazy to think. We're at nearly 250 episodes. It's, it's, it's nuts. And I started that podcast really to grow my investor database, right? To share my story about coming to the United States. And people, I, I thought that you know, the, the benefits I was finding back when I, you know, in 2012 and 2013, when I first came here, I was like, I need to share this experience with someone else. Someone else would want to listen. And over that time, it's grown and uh, we, uh, a couple of million downloads and all this sort of stuff. Like, wow. it's, it's been great, but it's like, I've also taken that content and created a book out of it. And I actually just launched the audio book of that same book just recently. And then the second book is actually 
the story, it's called 10,000 Miles to the American Dream, our story of financial freedom. It's the story of me and seven other Aussie blokes who we all, we started networking about five or six years ago. Uh, we're all Aussies. We're all out here being, you know, we all come across the ditch, as we like to say, and, and, and created financial freedom through different areas of US real estate. And we started as just as a, as a mastermind group, you know, getting together once a year with the, with the wives and girlfriends, the seven of us, we live across the United States. We only get to see each other once a year, but it was more like, well, when we got together a couple of years back, we said, why don't we share our story with, with everyone else? And so everyone has, uh, so all the, the, all the authors has a different chapter and a different chapter mm-hmm. is slightly uh, on a, a different take on how they've achieved financial freedom using maybe a different facet of, of real estate. We've got guys invest in mobile home parks. We've got guys investing in flipping houses. We've got one guy who's in real estate technology, brought out a real estate technology firm to San Francisco and started that. So again, there's a different viewpoints of the same idea, again, of that international perspective coming to the United States and, and making it work for, for ourselves and hopefully to inspire others to do the same. Yeah, that's very interesting. And going back to the, the perspective that you've brought with you, uh, being able to look at how the real estate market is in other parts of the world and looking at the US market and somebody who's been here their whole lives can say, wow, look at it how much prices have increased, everything seems mm-hmm. so overpriced, but then you look at cap rates in Europe and say, well, it could be a lot more expensive. It's actually <laughs> right. not too bad. And something right. very similar happens in Austin, for example, where you look at the prices and you, and you think, wow, everything is incredibly expensive. There's no way that this can be sustained. And then you look at San Francisco, New York, and those the people who, who have actually been investing you know. <laughs> there for a while, they look at Austin and say, wow, this is incredibly right. cheap. They don't look at how much it has grown or increased in price over the last few years. They compare it to the markets that they are already in. So yeah, that that perspective is extremely valuable. So Reid, are are you ready for a quick fire round? Let's do it. Love it. Perfect. What book has had the most profound impact in your life? Well, I I, I gave it a plug earlier. Uh, I'm going to plug two books actually. The first one is obviously Rich Dad Poor Dad. If you haven't read it, I'm sure a lot of people have. It's it's completely game changing. It's really good on giving you the the lofty goal, but it doesn't tell you how to do it right. And so that's, that was sort of my issue with the book. But love the book and what in terms of the the fundamentals of, of planting the seed of entrepreneurship in my in my in my gut in my heart and 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 off he's going off and chasing it. The second book I'm really really passionate about is a book called Key Person of Influence. It talks so doesn't have anything to do with real estate, but it's got everything to do with how do you attract investors, how do you attract partners and employees and better through better branding and creating online digital assets like podcasting and you know books and audiobooks and videos and all that good stuff. Uh, and that's written by a gentleman by the name of Dan Priestley. And so I um, highly, highly, highly recommend uh, Key Person of Influence if you haven't read it. And he's got a slew of other books called, one is called 24 Assets, which I'm actually sitting on my, my table right now. It's called 24 Assets, uh, How to Grow and Scale a Business, any business. So yeah, definitely check those couple of books out. Perfect. Thank you for those recommendations. Next question, what's the single most important skill to have as a real estate investor? I think the single, I think you can be good with numbers. You have to be good with the numbers. You can't not be good with numbers. If, you, if you're uncomfortable with an Excel spreadsheet, get comfortable. The second thing is also having an ability to look at something or someone and be able to dissect it into its parts. And what do I mean by that? I mean like, I like to observe people and just be quiet and observe them and see how they go about their doing their business and, and their life and their, you know, scaling or whatever it might be. And trying to 
pick up little tidbits or break it apart. Like I remember as being a kid, like breaking up my my Lego set and then putting it back together again. It's got to be the same sort of thing. You know, success leaves clues. So look at other people who you aspire to aspire to be successful like, and take apart what they did. The thing that you're going to realize is it takes a long period of time to be successful. And so that is, I think, is, is patience is, is another really important one. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Perfect. What's a real estate trend that you're paying attention to? Unemployment rate. <laughs> Unemployment rate, jobs, 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 jobs. I'm also paying attention to COVID right now and the fact that we are going into a second wave. It doesn't, it ain't good. No, not good because of the death. Like obviously the deaths are really bad, but from a business point of view, we are in the low, we house low socioeconomic housing for, you know, between the 40 to $80,000 a year household incomes, right? So the lower end folks are getting affected and, and having another wave of that is only going to affect our business. And the longer this goes on for, the longer it's going to affect the economy. So really paying attention to that and, and how is it going to, what's the new normal going to look like? I don't think anyone knows what the new normal is because it's so freaking fresh and we've never experienced this in our entire lives. So um, really paying attention to that right now. Okay. A parting piece of advice for our audience. Best piece of advice. I chalk up to my old man, my dad, he always told me a fool and their money are easily parted. So don't be a fool. And, and what I mean by that is go out and be educated. First and foremost, you have to be educated. You can't not pursue anything without having some form of, and when I say educated, it could be through self-education. I'm self-taught through real estate, but surround yourself with other people you aspire to be and learn from those people and then go take action. So don't be a fool when it comes to your money. Yeah. Thanks for that. How can people reach you? Reed, you mentioned your, your podcast. Where can they find out more about you? Yeah, you can head over to my website. It's reedgoosens.com. That's R-E-E-D-G-O-O-S-S-E-N-S. And you can find the podcast there. You can find the books there. You can find the audio books there. You can find the blogs. You can find anything. And if anyone is coming through LA, I always love to throw this out there. I'm always willing to meet up and go for a coffee or go for beer or whatever. Just give me enough time, advance warning, and you can shoot me an email that info, that's I-N-F-O at reedgoosens.com. And yeah, let me know when you come through town. All right. Uh, I will sure take you up on that next time up in LA. Thank you. Thank you for your time today. It's been great. Thank you for all all this information. It's been a tremendous pleasure. Mate, I love what you're doing, Jorge, and uh, keep up the good work, big fella. Thank you.